You guys have your Bibles. We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 4 and 5 tonight. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Ezekiel. One of the things that, I, that to, at least, you know, personally for me is I'm going through Ezekiel um, oh, third or fourth time that I've been through the book. And there's just a lot of things that I feel like uh, God has been opening my eyes to, not not new things, but new applications. You know, I, I look at, the Bible teaches us that that as uh, the children of Israel came to Kadesh Barnea, the Lord brought a generation there, and they had an opportunity to enter into everything that God had for them. So they stop at the border, and they decide they're going to send out spies, representatives from each of the 12 tribes. Ten spies return with a bad report. Uh... The people are too big, too scary, we can't do it. Two people come back, Joshua and Caleb, they return with a good report. Our God is bigger than whatever obstacles are there. And they cried out to the people, hey, God can do it, God can deliver us, God can take us to the land, he can, he can accomplish all the things he's promising. But the people listened to the ten uh, bad report spies whatever you want to call them. And so the Lord said, okay, you don't go in. And the next morning, the people get up and they say, man, we're wrong. We messed that up, Lord. We're ready today. And God said, no. You're going into the wilderness, and I'll come back with the next generation. And I look at our world today, and the havoc we have uh, brought to society by our, our complacency, our whatever you want to call it, whatever things, whatever, <coughs> whatever you want to call out, we have allowed the downward spiral that exists now. And I feel like God is saying to our generation, this is as far as you get to, <coughs> excuse me. And if anyone's going to go further, it'll be the next generation. And the call, that call is similar to some of the work that Ezekiel is going to be doing with the exiles. He's going to set their minds straight. Right now the exiles, <clears throat> you see God was angry, uh, brought his judgment upon the nation of Israel. Now there's no Israel. So in Ezekiel there is, but... There was no Israel at the exile. Israel's destroyed. Jerusalem's wiped out. The remnant that God's going to utilize to bring a generation out 70 years later back to Israel is in Babylon. And the prophet he has there to deliver that message is Ezekiel to get them ready. Because the old men Ezekiel's talking to, they're not going. They're going to die in Babylon. And the next generation that are born there, they'll be the old men when they come back to Israel. And the young men, they'll be, they're, they're two generations down that are going to rebuild the nation afterwards, the remnant that God's going to work through. And it just I just see a lot of parallels between us as a nation. I'm not saying Ezekiel's talking about us. Ezekiel's not talking about us. But the application of the of the reality of what was happening in Israel at the time of Ezekiel 
And the reality of what's happening in the United States today, I, I just see parallels. Parallels of we're entering into a time of, of distinct uh, judgment, persecution on the horizon, very clear delineation of, of lines, uh, all the pieces are on the board and they're moving. And, you know, I just feel the spirit saying it's time to get the next generation ready. Um, that's, that's not to shirk responsibility. The point is that's what we should be doing. That's kind of a biblical concept, right? The older teaching the younger, fathers teaching their children, grandfathers teaching the grandchildren, right? We're to spread that, that understanding and that, that uh, um, mission to the next generation. So Ezekiel's preparing the hearts of the exiles. Now, as we look at it, the exiles think that God hates them because they're slaves. But real, the reality is God loves them, so they're slaves, not dead. One of the things, this is an interesting concept, and a lot of people have a problem with the, the way the Bible talks about slavery. It's like, oh, my gosh, the Bible, it, it upholds slavery. Yes, it upholds slavery because slavery was better than being dead. And in the ancient world, it would have been better for you too. What's my option? Well, I'll kill you, or you can be a slave. Okay? I know. We all say, oh, nope, I'd let him kill me. Okay, maybe you would. We'll see. Those days may come around again. So you had this comparison. Well, to the Lord, he's, he's the God of life, not death. So he's, he's saying, hey, you live. Go plant. Go sow. Go have families. Go raise children. Go prepare the next generation. That's what he told Jeremiah to tell the exiles as they walked away in Jeremiah 29, which, by the way, might be on your fridge, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That was to the slaves, not to the people still fighting in Jerusalem. So as we come, we're going to we're starting a new section, Ezekiel chapter 4 to roughly 24. These are prophecies of coming judgment. They'll sound similar uh, for those of you who are with us going through Jeremiah. They're going to sound similar, but the difference is Ezekiel has a unique ministry. Ezekiel's ministry is going to be made up of a lot of what we call sign acts. Uh, pantomimes. Illustrations lived out before the people. Now, just so you remember, Ezekiel receives his call directly from the Lord. The Lord gives Ezekiel the call, and the Lord said to Ezekiel last week, you're not going to be able to speak unless I put words in your mouth. So he's going to be sitting in his house. This is how Ezekiel's work's going to go. He's sitting in this, his house at the refugee camp. When Ezekiel comes out of the house, the people will gather because the only reason Ezekiel comes out is to say what God told him to say. And then he goes back in the house. And he's going to come out. We're going to see, we're going to look at several Sinaks. I think we're going to look at nine of them tonight if, if I make it. So maybe we, we'll see four and a half. I don't know. But the plan is nine. So as we look at it, Ezekiel's going to come out. He's going to do a sign act, a pantomime. He's going to provide an illustration of the prophecy he's about to give. So not only will the people hear the words that God has given Ezekiel to say, but they're going to see the act acted out before the people. 
So the people would gather around Ezekiel's place. So it's going to be nine different sign acts that we're going to see. So we'll pick it up. Ezekiel 4, verse, uh, verse 1, the siege against Jerusalem. So he says, oh, and you, son of man, take a brick, lay it before you, engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem. Put siege works against it. Build a siege wall against it. Cast up a mound against it. Set camps also against it. And plant battering rams against it all around. So he's going to make a city of clay. In essence, he's going to take out his army men and he's going to build a battleground, uh, you know, a model of the battleground, of the battle that's about happening in Jerusalem. Because the people in Babylon think we're the ones that are bad because here we're here. We're the ones God's judging. But in reality, they're the ones God's saving. Are you tracking with me? And the people back in Jerusalem, they're the ones under judgment. So when the Lord talks about the remnant, we don't always recognize whether we are the remnant or the judge because sometimes your preconceived ideas are tainting the way you see your circumstances. So if they're slaves, we can't be the ones God loves. Uh, probably a pretty unpopular message these days. But they're slaves, and they're the ones God loves. He, he's going to raise up from them the next generation to go back to Israel. So he's going to build a model of the battle against Jerusalem roughly 11 years before Jerusalem falls the last time. Ezekiel's taken in the second deportation. There's one more deportation before the destruction of the nation. So it's 11 years ahead. And, and obviously, right, there's no, CNN's not there, MSNBC's not there, nobody's filming it, nobody's broadcasting it to Jerusalem. This is for the Babylonian refugees, okay? This is for the Jerusalem refugees in Babylon. So, so the message is for them. It's a message to, to, to encourage them that God has a purpose. Verse 3, and you will take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city, Set your face toward it, and let it be in a state of siege, and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. So the first illustration, here's your first illustration. This model of Jerusalem, a brick with like Jerusalem painted on it. Um, and then around that you have all these symbols of siege works and surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Then you're going to have Ezekiel laying on the ground. Ezekiel is God. In the illustration, Ezekiel is God. And between God and Jerusalem is an iron wall. So the Lord is not coming through. He's not listening. He's not hearing. You have multiple prophecies from Isaiah and Jeremiah that talk about God saying, stop praying. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. Now, the people had the freedom to either continue to rebel against God and be utterly destroyed, which is what they chose, or to accept the judgment from God and live. So that was their free choice, but the Lord has an iron skillet between him and Jerusalem. He's not looking, he can't, he's not seeing, he is separated. He will no longer listen to their cries. He has utterly rejected Jerusalem, the place where he wrote his name. So God's done. They reached the point of, like Kadesh Barnea, 
He still cared for those people, watched over those people. He has now reached the point where he said, that's it. I'm done with this generation, with these guys. So I'm not bailing them out anymore. I've told them what they could do. They have rejected that word. And so there is an iron wall between God and the people. Then in verse 4, he gives the second sign act. Now lay on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of the years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. So with that siege mount, I just want to kind of get you to see how this is going to work. Ezekiel is going to come out in the morning. The first day he builds the model, he sets it all up. And then he's going to come out and he's going to lay on one side with that griddle between his face and the, the siege mound. He's going to lay on his side. He's going to repeat that for 390 days. He's not laying there for 390 24-hour days. Okay? In a minute, you're going to see he's got to cook. And he couldn't cook bread over a fire of poop. And lay on his side while he's doing it. So it's a sign act, okay? He's going to do it for however long. It doesn't matter. He's going to do it so the people see 390 days for the punishment of Israel. This is specific. Now, is he talking about the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, the division between the kingdoms? You had northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Um, It doesn't really matter. Nobody knows what the 390 days signify. There's a lot of ideas about how to figure that out, but none of them land exactly. So I'm going to give you what I think is the best one. You guys want to chase down any others, knock yourself out. I think the best one starts with Rehoboam, which is the first king after Solomon. When Solomon dies, Rehoboam comes. That's the beginning of the split of the kingdom. And roughly you have nothing but bad kings from Rehoboam to Hezekiah, which is the last king, which is 394 years. The first three years of Rehoboam, he kind of walks with God. Uh, Chronicles tells us he walks with God for about three of those years. So 391 is pretty close to 390, you know, but you might be able to figure out some other math. That's close enough for me. This is the idea for 390 years My people have rejected my word over and over and over again. And you may have small breaks where you have a decent king for a period of time, decent king for a period of time. But the northern kingdom had none, not one decent king, and the southern kingdom only had a few. And so you you have this example, this decline. So the idea is for 390 years you have rejected everything I've sent to you. Every message I gave you, every prophet I brought to you. So this is your punishment. You can accept the punishment, which is exile in Babylon and live, or you can fight and die. Choice is yours. And they chose to fight and die. So he's laying out, so he's going to lay on this side. This side signifies the 390 years 
for Israel, I would say that it's not the northern kingdom. It's focused on the totality. Um, but there are other arguments that, that would come against that. But he's going to do that. Then he says, And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment for the house of Judah. Southern kingdom, right? So this is the kingdom that is in existence at the time of Ezekiel. Northern kingdom's been gone for 150 years. So the northern kingdom, those guys... They were, they were conquered, utterly destroyed by the Assyrians. No refugees are left. Uh, ultimately, they become what, at the time of Jesus, the Samaritans. The Samaritans are the leftovers of the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, he says, for the south, here's what I want you guys to focus on. The number for the south will be 40 days, a day for each year. Now, to me... For, for, and maybe it's just because of where I'm at, you know, in, in life and in our current events. I see the history of rebellion against God, bringing the judgment of God and the exile. And I see the 40 days telling the 40 days immediately makes me think of the 40 years in the wilderness. The 40 years that the generation wandered and that the Lord was going to bring another generation out of that. And so all of those things become the picture of the second. Here's what's unclear. This doesn't mean... For 390 days, he laid on his left side, and then for 40 days, he laid on his right. He could have come out and laid on his left side for an hour for 390 days, got up, turned over, laid on his right side for the next 40 days, and then got up, and he's going to participate in multiple synaxes. These synaxes are all happening around the same period of time. So, so there are motion, it's moving, it's... People coming and saying, what's, what's that crazy Ezekiel doing today? Well, today he came out again and he's got that little, you know, war thing around Jerusalem and he laid on his left side again. And so they would talk about, oh, how long, how many days he been doing that? And then he laid over on his, and then on the 40, after 40 days, oh, today he didn't lay on his right side, but he's still laying on his left side. So <clears throat> the, the symbolism is still being carried through to the people. So he lays down a second time, 40 days I assign to you a day for each year. So I think that represents, to me that represents their, this generation I'm finished with. None of those people in Babylon are ever going back to Jerusalem. None of them are ever going back. The babies who are born then may go back as old men. So the idea, this generation, they die in the wilderness. But you have a choice as the generation who failed, don't you? You have a choice just to whimper off into, you know, oh, we're under judgment. It's a, we're never going to be able to go into the promised land. Or you can say, I messed this up, but I'm going to make sure my son knows not to. Does it make sense? It pouring into that next generation or the people who will be able to be a part of it to not shirk, shirk the responsibility of Deuteronomy chapter 6 which said for the fathers to teach their children and their grandchildren when they rise up when they lie down when they walk in the way wherever you go whatever you're doing constantly be passing on to the next generation the important lessons that the Lord has taught you that was something that was supposed to be a part of normal life right and so this is an opportunity for that to, to go forward in the Synax.
Then he's going to go in verse 7. And you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared. And you shall prophesy against the city. So part of the act was his prophecy against the city. And the prophecy is Jerusalem will fall. The people in exile think Jerusalem's never going to fall. And we're the ones that are, are being punished. Rather than Jerusalem is utterly going to be destroyed and we're the ones being saved. So the way they're seeing their world view, uh, Ezekiel's going to be working on trying to get them to, to change what they see. Prophesy against the city, and behold, I will place cords on you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your seed. So he's going to do them all. Every day, the Lord's going to make sure, every day, this is going to be the event that takes place. <clears throat> They're going to come out, and he's going to provide this act. Now, Here's part of the act. This is why I say he's not just laying on his side the whole time. Verse 9. And you take wheat and barley and beans and lentils, millet and emmer, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread with, or from them. During the number of days you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food uh, you shall eat uh, be by weight, 20 shekels a day, uh, from day to day, you shall eat it. So, so Jeremiah is going to live on the rations that the people in Jerusalem are going to live on. He's going to live on those same rations for 390 days. He's going to have 20 shekels of bread. Don't worry, I'll tell you how much that is in a minute. And then he says, and water you shall drink by measure the sixth part of a hen. From day to day, you shall drink it. You will eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. So part of the act is that he is going to, the siege mound is there, he lays on his side, make sure everybody comprehends he's laid on this side. Then he's going to get up every day and he's got to prepare the bread for that day. So he's going to cook basically like a, a pita. He's going to cook a pita. And he's going to cook it over dung. Why? Because they have no wood in Jerusalem during the siege. They have nothing with which to make their fire. So they're, that's, they're going to be using human dung. Uh, verse 13, it says, And the Lord said, Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Now Ezekiel's going to balk. He's like, uh, this, is hard. this is, might be a little too far. So Ezekiel, I think it left too far a while ago, but Ezekiel made it this far. Now, cooking, cooking over poop, he was not, not really, didn't think that was great. So Ezekiel, verse 14, then I said, uh, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself from my youth up till now. I have never eaten what, what died of itself, was torn by beasts, was tainted meat, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. So he's like, ah, oh, this, this, this is a little too gross for me, Lord. I can't do it. And so the Lord gives a concession. You may not think it's much of a concession, but it's definitely better than the, the uh, alternative. <clears throat> so then he said to me, the Lord said to me, see, I assign you cow's dung instead of human dung on which you may prepare your bread. So maybe it doesn't feel like a great concession, but... 
way better as far as I'm concerned. So, so he's got this mound. He's going to come out. He's going to lay on his side. He's going to get up. This is part of the Sinai for 390 days. Do you realize how many times you've read different parts of the Bible and you feel like it's repeating itself? Have you ever done that? Do you know why? Because repetition is the mother of learning. Why did Ezekiel do this for 390 days? Because even after 390 days, they hadn't figured it out. Jesus' disciples walked around with Jesus for three years. And they still never heard him say, I'm going to die, be buried, and rise again. Somehow, that message never could find its way into their heads. So here... Over and over, they're gonna, he's going to illustrate this. Hey, did you go by Ezekiel's house? Yeah, did you see what that guy's doing? He gets up, he lays on the side in front of that brick, he puts that, that metal plate, and they would discuss it. And he would speak God's words of condemnation against Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is going to fall. And they would sit back and go, you think Jerusalem's really going to fall? Now, 11 years later, when a guy comes running into the refugee camp, as a refugee in Jerusalem and proclaims that Jerusalem has fallen, what do you think all those people thought? 11 years ago, Ezekiel acted this out. When the next batch of refugees come in 11 years and they walk into the refugee camp and they're saying, man, oh, Jerusalem's fallen. It was so bad. You wouldn't believe we had to eat bread cooked over human feces. What do you think those people thought? Man, crazy Ezekiel was acting that out 11 years ago. You remember? He did it for a year and a month, give or take, right? So <clears throat> all of these coming forward so that they would know when those days come, hey, Ezekiel is speaking for the Lord. Man, we really need to hold on to the things that he's laid out for us. He says, um, moreover, he said to me, son of man, behold, I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight with anxiety. They shall drink water by measure and in dismay. I will do this that they may lack bread and water and look at one another in dismay and rot away in their punishment. So keep in mind, the punishment of rejecting God's provision is hell. You know that, right? God's provision of salvation is Jesus Christ. One way, only way, no other way. You reject that way, you think having a little bit of water and a little bit of bread is bad? The description for hell is worse, right? In fact, the Bible doesn't even know how to describe it any worse. So it says it's a place of intense heat where the fire is never quenched, yet there's no light. It uses terms that won't make sense together, but basically it's describing the worst parts of all kinds of regular life. Like fire's great when you can warm by the fire, you see the light of the fire, but standing in the fire is a drag. So he describes it as fire, outer darkness, separation from God, all, the, all good things gone. So <clears throat> rejecting God's provision leads to destruction. That's the short lesson. If man would learn that, life could be better than it is. A man has a hard time. So I told you I would tell you about the amounts. Oh, that little pita is how much, how big a pita you can make with one cup. 
It's one cup of flour. That's what he's using. So like one piece of pita. That's your food for the day. And your water for the day is 21 ounces. So that's roughly a little smaller than my big monsters, a little bigger than the small one. <laughs> that's how I measure everything. So, so 21 ounces of water, one cup of bread, every day, 390 days, Ezekiel is going to act this out. Now, what I want you to know, I'm going to read a section of scripture for you. I invite you to go there with me. They don't have it, so it won't be up on the slide. We're going to go look at Leviticus 26. I'm just going to read it from 14 to 35. This goes back to the days of Moses, the tabernacle, uh, God's presence wanting to be with the children of Israel, but the children of Israel are in sin. The book of Leviticus is teaching them how they're able to approach God, how they can come into his presence, how the Lord can dwell in the midst of a sinful people. And so Leviticus 26, all the way back to Moses. Remember Kadesh Barnea, all that stuff? So we're talking pre all, pre all that time, pre, pre the initial exile, the first exile, the first failure. The Lord lays out these words to the people. He said, if you will not listen to me and do all these things, these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, if your soul hates my rules so that you will not do my commandments, but you break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and makes a heartache. You will sow your seed in vain and your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you and you will be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you. <clears throat> you shall flee when none pursues you. By the way, when I read that, it really stuck out. Did you catch it? Those who hate you shall rule over you. Was there another way you'd describe today? Huh. You will flee when none pursue you. It's being overwhelmed with fear. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sin. I will break the pride of your power. I will make the heavens like iron, the earth like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain. Your land will not yield its increase. Trees of the land will not yield their fruit. And if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sin. I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children, destroy your livestock, make you few in number so that your roads will be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sin. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your city, I will send pestilence among you, and you will be delivered to the hand of your enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women will, break, will bake your bread in a single oven and dole out your bread again by weight, which is what we just read. And you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you. In fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sin. You shall eat the flesh of your sons. You shall eat the flesh of your daughters. 
I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense, cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. I will not, not smell your pleasing aroma. I myself will devastate the land so your enemies will settle in it and be appalled at it. I will scatter you among the nations and unsheathe the sword after you, and your land will be a desolation. Your cities shall be a waste. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were living in it. Part of the idea of the 70 years of exile is that God had commanded in his word that every seventh year you let the land lie fallow. You don't plant, you don't sow, you don't reap. The Lord said, I will give you enough on the sixth year to carry you through the seventh. But like all good capitalists, if you have a bumper crop one year, you hope for a bumper crop the next year, right? And for 390 years plus, Israel never honored the Sabbath year. Not one time. Never once. So they sat in exile for 70 years. One year for each Sabbath year they skipped. They sat in Babylon. Now way back before there was a king, way back before there was a nation, the Lord told Moses these things. And you shall teach these things to your children. When you rise up and when you lie down and when you walk in the way, you should instruct the people in the importance of being obedient to God and walking after his statutes because if we turn our back on the Lord, he will turn his back. <coughs> he said, if you walk contrary to me, I will walk contrary to you. And the blessings stop. Now, here we, in, in Ezekiel chapter 5, same, same series of synaxes that Ezekiel is doing uh, during the same period of time. So again, this is why Ezekiel can't just be laying down 24 hours a day for 390 days because we know basically the 390 days is going to be up roughly around, I want to say around chapter 11. So the rest of these things are kind of con happening congruently. And you, son of man, take a sharp sword. Use it as a barber's razor. Pass it over your head and your beard. And take the balances for weighing and divide the hair. A third part will burn in the fire in the middle of the city. So you still got the seeds set around the city there. Ezekiel's still going through all the other motions that he's been doing. But at the, toward the end of the 390 days, he's going to shave off all his hair. He's going to divide it into three parts. He's going to burn some of it in the middle of the city, on the brick, in the middle of the siege works. A third part will burn in the middle of the city when the, sea, when the days of the siege are completed. A third part you will take and strike with a sword all around the city. So scattering his hair around the city where the siege works are and beating the hair with the sword. 
And then the, the third part, you will scatter to the wind. And I will unsheathe the sword after them. And you will take from these a small number. So from his hair, you will take a small number and bind them in the skirts of your robe. So out of all the hair that you shaved off, a third you're going to burn, a third you're going to put around, chop with the sword, a third you're going to throw up into the wind. But prior to all that, you're going to take a small amount of hair and you're going to put it inside um, your, the skirts of your robe. You're going to keep it with you. Now, what do you think that represents? That's the remnant. That's the ones who are watching Ezekiel go through all of these Synax. And of these again, you will take some and cast into the fire and burn them in fire. From there, a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. So the idea is not everybody, not all the remnant is going to make it. Some of the remnant are still going to reject. Some of the remnant are still going to have a hard heart, right? Because ultimately, the Bible teaches us that people get to respond or reject. So just because God counted your number among the remnant doesn't mean you're going to respond to the Lord. You may still reject him. And if so, that the part of that is going to, <clears throat> they will burn their, uh, in, their, in the slavery that they find themselves in. So as he lays this one out for us, we, we see the picture of the spared remnant. In Leviticus 26, uh, a little bit... Um, Further than what we were reading in 36, it says, And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of the enemies. The sound of, of a driven leaf will put them to flight. They will flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape the sword, though none pursues them. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And you will perish among the nations, and the lands of the enemies shall eat you up. And of those who are left, uh, they shall rot away in the enemy's lands because of their iniquity and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. So those in captivity, those, those like if I was the guy, if, just like Ezekiel, where's Ezekiel going to die? He's going to die in Babylon. He's going to die a slave. But he has a hope that there's a generation coming up from among them that will go back to the land. There's a generation coming up that can lead the revival, who can bring the desire back. This fire will come out, he says, and it will come out into all the house of Israel. But the result will be what's left will be those who are prepared to go just like 40 years wandering in the wilderness going through all the struggles they went through in the wilderness not having water not having food complaining over the manna right all of those lessons did it teach the children that were growing up in them man it prepared them because when they came to Kadesh Barnea the second time you know what they said the Lord is with us let's go well, what was the difference there's no greater miracles in the 40 years in the wilderness than there was previous at the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea. You think of all the things God showed them before they got to Kadesh Barnea? 
The difference was a failed generation taught the next generation. And the next generation learned the lessons of the failed generation. And they rose up. That's an important lesson for us. That's an important lesson for us today when we look around and say, what can I do in our crazy world? Yeah? Do you want to know? You can pour into the next generation. You can teach them the things you've learned. You can raise up and help raise up as a community of believers a generation that fears the Lord and will be used mightily by him. That's what we can do. He goes on, thus says the Lord in in Ezekiel 5.5, This is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with countries all around her. So no confusion, right? Ezekiel is speaking the words that God gives him to speak. And she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations. She's more guilty. (coughs) More than the countries all around her. For they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are around you and have not walked in my statutes or obeyed my rules, have not even acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you. So she's actually worse. We'll see it when we get to chapter 16 of Ezekiel, one of my favorite chapters. He's going to say, he's going to describe... uh, Judah as worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. So that he's saying, you're worse. Your corruption is worse than the other nations. Your deception is worse. Why? Because they had the word. The other nations didn't have the word. They had the word. They had the priests. They had the prophets. They had all the advantages. But they rejected They had rejected it. Their disobedience was worse because they had a greater understanding. Why do you think the Bible says judgment will begin in the house of God? Who holds greater responsibility, the heathen or the believer? The believer is supposed to know better, right? Then in verse 8, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against you. I will execute judgments in your midst. In the sight of the nations. Now remember Ezekiel is speaking to Jerusalem. He's talking to the brick. While the people are gathered around. Watching the Sinax. While they're looking at the events that are happening. And because of your abominations. I will do with you. What I have never yet done. And the like of which I will never do again. Therefore. Fathers shall eat their sons in your midst. Sons shall eat their fathers. And I will execute judgment on you, and any of you who survive, I will scatter to all the winds. So I want you to understand how important or powerful this is to those kind of people who think we're forsaken of God, we're forgotten by God, we're thrown away by God. Those people over there got a chance, but we don't have any. Then to hear the prophet prophesy and say the people that you thought were those favored by God, that those are the ones who are rejected. And you are the ones from whom will come the seed of hope. You're the ones. You're the ones God is looking at to raise up that generation that will come afterward. During the siege in Babylon, 
the, the, the king walks through the city and weeps. Mothers fighting over which baby they're going to eat today. Normal people, not especially wretched people, but you let somebody get hungry enough and watch what happens. Do you ever watch them uh, hand out food in a refugee camp in a third world country? It is the most dangerous action you will ever take. Because there's way more refugees than there is you. And if they come outside of their head and charge, what are you going to do about it? And really, what do they have left to lose? It's a scary place to be, to have lost everything and be starving at the same time. So these people, they're going to eat one another. We've seen it in our own history, right? We studied it. We studied it. People who ate the dead. <clears throat> so this is something that happened then as well. Verse 11, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely, <laughs> excuse me, because you have defiled my sanctuary with your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore, I will withdraw. That's all that is required for evil to fall on the land. Please understand that. All that is required is that God withdraws. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, we will not know who the Antichrist is. So every time somebody posts a new article on YouTube and gets 10 million hits because they say the Antichrist is Joe Biden or, or President Obama or Trump is the Antichrist or whatever thing. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says that that the son of perdition will not be revealed until he who restrains is taken out of the way. Until God turns his back, it ain't happening. And if you want to know what that looks like, Revelation chapter 6 through 19. If you can read Revelation chapter 6 through 19 and see today in it, maybe we're there. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there. The Lord said, I'm going to withdraw. My eye will not spare. I'll have no pity. A third part of you will die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. A third part will fall by the sword. Remember the hair being struck by the sword outside the camp. A third part will be struck with the sword. A third part I will scatter to the winds and unseat the sword after you. So you remember when we did Jeremiah, we get to the end of Jeremiah. The people are still killing each other. After Babylon leaves, they still reject the opportunity to have a life. They're still fighting against God. God's prophet is in their midst, and they ask him, what should we do? We want to do what God wants us to do. And so the prophet said, then get in your homes and live. This is how life's going to be now. And they said, no, we're going to go to Egypt. And Jeremiah said, if you go to Egypt, you're going to die there. Yeah, we don't care. We're going to go to Egypt. So Jeremiah packs up his bags, goes with them. They all die in Egypt. That's choice, right? Could they have had a life there in the land? For sure. They didn't want to do what God had decreed for them. They just want to do what they want to do. You know what we call that? That's rebellion. 
You got kids? Some of you? Our kids. But you have kids, and if you have kids, I guarantee you have dealt with rebellion. You either have dealt with rebellion, are dealing with rebellion, or are going to deal with rebellion. There will be rebellion coming through your door. That's part of having kids. So we can understand a little bit about the Lord saying, hey, this is, I don't know how many times I told my, my sons. I sat with my son one time. I don't have time for the story. I'm going to do it anyway. I sat with my son one time in his office. I had him dead to rights. I had received a couple of phone calls, so I knew exactly what he had done the night before, where he had been, what he had done, what time he got there. I literally had everything. I had it all. I sat down, my son, I brought my son in, pulled him out of class. Uh, he went to a Christian school in, in California. I pulled him out of class. I never pull him out of class, so this is bad. Right? A, lot of, a lot of sign acts were going on. He comes into my office. As he walks into my office, I looked at him and I said, son, I know everything. I know everything you did. I have already received all the information. I am going to give you one chance. Now you are going to sit there and, and play this game in your head. Does dad really know or is he trying to get me to confess? And I'm telling you, I really know what happened. I absolutely know everything you did. So, if you confess, we'll be good. And if you don't, we won't be good. You ready? Yeah? What'd you do last night? Nothing? <laughs> so I laid it all out for him. And I could watch his head, like, drop with every ding, ding. I knew Literally knew it all. So I don't know who spilled their guts, but you know how that happens, right? One kid somewhere got popped by his parents, and he spilled everything. And it trickles down to everybody else. And, but that's our tendency. Our tendency is to rebel, to, to repel res, taking responsibility for what we've done. It's to all the way to the end. We will do it all the way to the end. As we see in Scripture, over and over and over again. So he goes a third, everyone, a third and a third and a third, just like the hair. They're all going to perish. Verse 13, thus shall my anger spend itself. I will vent my fury upon them, satisfy myself, and they will know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in my jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. They will know I am the Lord. They will know. Deuteronomy 32, verse 23 says, And I will heap disaster upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They will be wasted with hunger, devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors, a sword will bereave, and indoors, terror for the young and woman alike, and the nursing child, and the man of gray hairs. That's Deuteronomy, back at Moses, when God said, when you disobey me, these days are coming. And roughly 400 years later, here we are. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and an object of reproach among the nations all around you and in the sight of all who pass by. 
<clears throat> you will be a reproach and a taunt, a warning and a horror to the nations all around you. When I execute judgments on you in anger and fury with furious rebukes, I am the Lord. I have spoken. When I send against you the deadly arrows of famine, arrows for destruction, when I send to destroy you, when I bring more and more famine upon you, break your supply of bread. I will send famine and beasts against you. They will rob you of your children. Pestilence and blood will pass through you. I will bring the sword upon you. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Okay, I don't want you to lose context. Ezekiel is not speaking this to the refugees. He's saying this to a brick in the middle of a siege mound with all these things around it while he lays on his side or while he's cooking his bread. However, he's speaking the proclamation and he's going to do it for 390 days so that the people there know we are those being spared of God's judgment. We are the ones who are receiving grace. We are the ones from whom will spring the seeds of hope for a future. That's us. Until they get that in their minds, they're not going to be prepared to do the things necessary to prepare the next generation. Because right now, they think they've been thrown away. We've lost everything. We have nothing to live for. We're just slaves. But in reality, they're the group that God's going to build nation of Israel part two. How do you build the first one? You remember? They were in a place called Egypt. What were they there? Seems like they were slaves there too, weren't they? Until God delivered them. And now here you have another remnant, much smaller, right? Just take a few hairs from all these hairs, small group, probably as little as 5,000 people is the totality of the refugees. That's small. Those are the ones from which God's going to build the generation that's going to return to the land. I think there's a lot of things in there God wants us to hear. I hope we hear them. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word, for the book of Ezekiel, which is going to challenge us, Lord. And I pray, God, that as we see, we, we can just recognize, Lord, there's something a little different about Ezekiel's message. Jeremiah is shouting to the mess masses of people who aren't listening to him. Ezekiel's shouting to a brick, which is pretty close to the same thing in the hearing of a bunch of people who think they've been forsaken of God, who don't understand that they're the hope for Israel. I just can't help seeing the parallels to our days. To a nation that is in open rebellion against God, who would flaunt everything that God has decreed as holy, and will participate in everything God has decreed as unholy. A nation who has turned their back on the Lord long ago, and a group of, of people, the church, who have sat in apathy, silence, complacency, 
compromise? As we enter into a time when we look around and we think, what do we do now where we are today? Maybe we need to hear Ezekiel's message. Maybe this is as far as our generation will come. But there is a generation coming. And we have neglected them. We have neglected them for a long time. We have neglected the opportunity to raise up our children in the ways of the Lord. We have provided for them. We have given them good homes. We have given them, given them good places to educate, be educated. We've, we've done all these other things to try to give them the best life that we can, the best future that we can, but we, we have neglected the one thing that really matters. So maybe, maybe the Lord is setting a brick in the midst of us and shouting at a brick. It's Jerusalem. And we can say, there's nothing here for me. There's, there's nothing that God's challenging me with. Or maybe we can say, I really need to pour into my kids, my grandkids, people around me, the kids in the neighborhood, the what you know, whatever place, whatever sphere of influence God will give. Prepare a people ready. Lord, I pray that you would move in our midst, guide us and lead us, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. May we respond to the challenges that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.